0: This is the 7-Figure Agency Podcast. Discover the strategies and techniques to grow a highly successful and profitable digital marketing agency
1: with your host, Josh Nelson.
0: What's up, guys? Thanks so much for joining us on today's episode of the 7-Figure Agency Podcast. Uh, This is part of our agency success interview series where we're interviewing successful digital marketing agencies from across the country. Uh, And today, I'm super pumped just turn that off. Super pumped to be joined by Chris Martinez from Dude Agency. Uh, Chris, say hi.
1: What's happening? You're going to have to adjust that too, because you said across the country. Now you're across the continent.
0: Across the world, yes. <laughs> so, Chris, exactly. like, just so the group knows, we, I mean, I know you personally, you've got a tremendous mind for operations, growth, scale. I know you've got a are really large agency, we work with a lot of, you know, agencies, but kind of give us the lay of the land in terms of what you do in your, in your business and kind of the scope of the operation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, so like most people or like everybody here, you know, I started an agency 10 years ago. I can't believe it's, it's 10 years ago this year and really just didn't know what I was doing, trying to figure it out. There weren't a lot of coaches like yourself out there. And uh, I was moonlighting for the first year, working crazy hours. We had this team in the Philippines. So I was literally working from six am to one am every day for a year. actually, for two years. For the first year, I didn't get paid. Uh, I had my you know my day job doing digital marketing. Um and so eventually, you know, I ended up growing the agency. We had over two hundred clients, and I'll get more into that story later, but, I just realized that it was really hard for agencies to to find people. And also, most agencies struggle on the operations side and the fulfillment and getting stuff done fast. And we did a pivot in 2017 and created Dude. And we started off as a white label agency, you know, doing design and development for agencies. Those that know Dude, that's typically what they know us for. And as we started working with more and more agencies, like dude took off pretty quickly. And so as we started working with more and more agencies, we recognized all these deficiencies that most agencies have. So most of our agencies that we work with, they're amazing at sales and getting new customers. They're great at doing the strategy and they struggle when it comes to fulfillment, operations, hiring, staffing, like all this non-sexy stuff that is super super important but most of us are just naturally not very good at it and especially because we typically started off as like accidental entrepreneurs so we just don't have that that knowledge and we're not really good at it. and that's what really holds people back from you know multiple six figures to seven figures seven figures to multiple seven figures so we started off as white label with dude and then we recognized hey we can help people with operations and developing sops We can help people with best practices for hiring we can show them how to get an opera uh, a project manager Um, and it just kind of evolved from there Uh, and so now what we say is that we are an accelerator for agencies that want to get to five million plus so if you're at a half a million you want to get to a million we help you there Uh, if you're at a million you want to get to five million plus um, that's what we can help you with and it, it typically revolves around um, four things. So the first one is building out the team, right? So most agencies, especially now, are struggling to find great people and at rates that they can afford. you know it's just it's every agency's problem right now is finding people at rates that they can afford. Um, so that's step one is building out the dream team. The second step is looking at their processes and figuring out where are the bottlenecks and how can we fix this so that we can get the most out of the people that we have and just ultimately fix those inefficiencies. Um, The third is leadership. So anybody who's in a leadership capacity or somebody that is managing a team needs to solve problems, we provide guidance on how to fix those those issues that they have, operations, finance, HR, all the non-sexy stuff. Um, and then ultimately helping out with any financial consulting. So if they, like looking at their numbers, making sure that the gross margin is where it needs to be, the net income is where it needs to be, the churn is where it needs to be, and then just providing guidance on those things. Once you have those four things, sky's the limit. I mean, literally you can grow your agency as quickly and as high as you want it to go. So that's the, the latest evolution of Dude. It really came from our customers and it's things that we started doing, but then our clients were like, you guys need to talk about this stuff because there is literally nobody out there like you, um, and so that's that's what we're doing now, and it's really really exciting. I absolutely love it,
0: love it. So if you're watching this live, and and operations, uh, retaining your team, actually getting the work done is the bottleneck slowing you down. Uh, you're listening to the right you know right interview here, right? This is going to give you some great insights. Just to want to chat if that's you. It's like yeah, I know how to sell, I get the clients all day, but then where I or I get hung up is how do I get the work done? How do I get it done at scale without getting sucked into it, right? Chris, that's kind of the, the yeah. problem you guys helped to solve.
1: You know, and, and it's a problem that I experienced myself. So like, here's a very common frustration for agency owners. You go out, you sell a bunch of projects, right? You have the best sales month of your life. Right? And then, but at the end of the month you're looking at the bottom line and there's, not, there's nothing left, right? There's no, there's not even enough money to give yourself like a bonus or a raise based on all these new clients that you just sold. So then you're scratching your head and you're like, what the heck is going on, right? And, you, and, and if you don't know these kind of like non-sexy tips about how to run the agency, you just keep going into this, into this cycle. Um, and then the worst part is when clients are walking out the back door just as quickly as you're bringing them in. And it's a combination of things. So I always say first, like I mentioned, like team, we got to have the right people. We got to make sure that we're able to get this stuff done. But then also we got to look at the margin, right? We, you had um, John Morris on last week, right? Yep. And I, had a, I was able to do a one-on-one with him after. Just brilliant, brilliant guy. We got along great. Um, and the gross margin is the number one problem, right? So if you're spending too much to get those projects done, there's never going to be enough left over for you. And on top of that, what, what typically happens is a, an agency will sell a bunch of projects, but then their gross margin goes off the rails. So they might be at a you know 60% gross margin, and then they sell a bunch of clients, and now they're at like a, you know, a, a 20% gross margin, and there's nothing left over. And, and then there's this fallacy that I'll make it up on the back end. It never happens though. It, like unless you have to know the numbers so well. So all these different departments have to collaborate and get together, and you, as the owner, have to know exactly like what are the levers that I need to pull to make sure that everything gets done and that everybody's making money and we're and we're growing as a company. So uh, I'm, sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure the group wants to, if you if you can share some
0: benchmarks with the group, like with the agencies that you work with, like what do you find to be that appropriate gross margin, appropriate net margin target? You know, can you speak to some of those benchmarks?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and anybody who's listening, if you have any specific questions, I'm more than happy to share. Like, let me preface this by saying, like, I did not go to Harvard Business School. I studied sociology in college. Like, I, I love analyzing numbers, I love solving problems, but I am terrible at gathering the numbers. Uh, I'm fortunate enough that I married a CFO, so she helps me on that side smart, of it. Smart man. Um, <clears throat> but also I get, got some great guidance from, uh, Russ Perry, who, who runs design pickle. If you guys know design pickle. Um, and he gave me some of the margins that he looks in. That was like the biggest eye opener for me. So in terms of gross margin, um, you know, the way that we classify gross margin is really, Rupert,
0: really before you, yeah, what is gross margin? Just going so to
1: gross margin is essentially what is the percentage that is left over percentage of revenue that's left over after you pay out all your production labor so if you and and i like to break it out by project or by client so we run a subscription based business i know most of you guys have monthly recurring revenue um and so we look we do like an unlimited model that's our most popular product so what we do is you know let's say that we have you know just for simple math let's say we have hundred thousand dollars worth of revenue And uh, $40,000 of that goes to production labor, right? So our gross margin, this is a very simple version, would be 60%, right? Does that make sense to everybody? Hopefully those numbers are easy to understand, okay? Um, If I was spending $50,000 on labor, then my gross margin would be 50%. So what we do though, is we break it down per client. So we go very, very granularly so we say our overall gross margin is this, but let's look at it per client. And it was because we do time tracking, we're able to run reports that say for this client that's paying us three grand, we you know only had to spend, uh, I don't know, a thousand bucks on labor, right? This one was 1,500. This one was 1,800. This one, we lost money. So then we can analyze and we can figure out. What do we got to do so that not just the overall gross margin looks good, but that every single client that we're working with, then it makes financial sense for for us to be able to work with them. And if we're not in a position where, where it's a good financial decision to work with them, what needs to happen so that they are a good client for us? That's one thing that I don't think many, many people do. So we run reports like every single month and we're looking at it for every single client. I know how much I make off of every single client. It's not easy, like I said, I married a CFO, so she handles most of this for me. Yeah. Um, great investment if that's something that you're looking at doing, by the way, uh, especially if she listens to this episode. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's one thing that we do. So like definitely understanding that gross margin is very, very important. I wanna see my agencies, John said 50%. I typically wanna see our agencies at around 70% gross margin which means that if you sell a project for 10,000, I want that to be completely done. Everybody, project management, copywriting, design, development, everybody who touches that project, 3,000 bucks or less. That's where I wanna see that number. So you, the first thing you gotta do is you gotta look at those numbers. So if you're not running those reports, uh, get with your bookkeeper or your CFO or, or your accountant and start collecting that data. If you're not time tracking, definitely start doing that. Um, and then here's the biggest one is that if you are the owner and you are still doing production labor, you have to track your time. It's like the least fun thing that you could possibly do, but it's so eye-opening because you're going to recognize that it's totally jacking up your gross margin.
0: Yeah. Cause it looks like you get all this profit because you're personally clicking buttons and doing work and you're not accounting for the amount that it would cost to pay someone to do that your, yeah, absolutely.
1: Account. And then the other big thing that I feel like people miss, and you can categorize, like, this is the thing that I've learned with accounting, it's a, it's an art and not necessarily just a science. Um, but I like to include my um, credit card processing fees in my cost of goods. So yeah. credit card processing fees, most of us are doing, you know, Stripe or something. to three Automatically. Three, right, right. Yeah, here. it's like, I think with Stripe, it's like 2.9 plus 10 cents. Um When you start doing hundreds of thousands of dollars a month in revenue, that adds up. I mean, we're talking about easily somebody's salary and definitely a very nice bonus for me and my wife or a a vacation for us. So you want to track those numbers as a part of your cost of goods, in my opinion.
0: 100%.
1: So guys, quick,
0: quick, important thing here. Like, look at the screen. Give me a, a got it if you're following. Um, Look at how much you're making and how much is going to the fulfillment. If if that amount, like of your labor, your time invested in clients is greater than 50%, that's a major red flag, right? It's going to be hard for you yeah. to man- manage profitability. Um, ideally, you want it to be like in that 30 to 50% max, right, Chris, is kind of yeah. what you're
1: saying? 100%, 100% and then if you could take it as like that's step 1 right we got to look at that first and then step 2 is let's look at it per client per project to make sure that every single project is also fitting within that correct gross margin because sometimes you can have outliers that really skew the data so let's say you have a couple clients and you know they're 15% cost of goods which means they're 85% gross margin and then the rest of the people are at you know, 60%. Well, if you average those, those two things out, you're looking at about a 40% gross margin. But the reality is that those outliers are really skewing the data. Um, So that's another reason why I like to like to look at every single client.
0: Got it. So that's looking at your margins. I guess outside of that, you've got your overhead, which leads to your, your net. Like, what do you like to shoot for from a a net in in the agencies that you work with?
1: Yeah, this is a really good question. And it depends on what your end goal is, right? So I, no matter who it is, I like to shoot for a 30% net income. And let's be very clear as to what net income is. Net income is after you pay yourself, after you pay all your vendors or, um, yeah, all your bills, your rent, all your employees, of course. What is left over? This is something that a lot of agencies I think are misunderstanding or misrepresenting. Um, so at the end of the day, after you've paid yourself a good salary, you know, you can't pay yourself 40 grand a year and then be like, my net income is 80%. You have to pay yourself a really good income. Uh, after all those bills are paid, what's the percentage that's left over? So I like everybody to shoot for 30%. Now, why 30%? Um If you want to have an exit one day and and not even if it's today, it could be five years from now, it could be never. But if you have a 30% net income, the multiple that you'll be able to get on your agency is exponentially higher than at 10 or 15. It's not double. Like if you can get a 6X at 15%, you're not going to get a 12X at 30%. You're going to get a 20 or maybe even a 40% or 40X at 30% net income. There's a ton of variables that go into it, um, but ultimately, like it's very, very beneficial for you to have an agency that runs at a 30% net income long-term. Now, let's say you don't wanna sell. At the end of the year, at the end of the quarter, you can give yourself a nice little distribution. And then of course, you have lots of options of being able to reinvest back into the company. Now, when it comes to the net income, right? So you have a healthy gross margin, um and then you're looking at your like operating expenses um and administrative costs this is actually not a big problem for agencies the um, because we're typically very frugal <laughs> like i don't know what it is but we're just cheap asses um and we typically don't have the fancy office and last year kind of proved to us that we or the past two years kind of proved to us that we don't need the big office because we can r- work remotely Um, the, the biggest issue that I see is that we're paying ourselves or we're paying certain team members too much based on where we're at in the revenue. Mm. Um, that's, that's, if there's an an issue in the operating expenses, uh, it's that it's that we're paying ourselves or somebody else too much based on the revenue that we're generating and the gross margins that we have. So that's the big thing to to look at there. So
0: I've got two follow-up questions on that. If you don't mind, if I can kind of interject.
1: Of course, ask away. I open okay, up, cool. So guys,
0: if you're getting value, be sure to like give us a like, give us a yes. Start to put your questions in here in the comments. So my first question is like, as you look at agencies and you say kind of half a million to a million, a million to 5 million, um, what are the key roles that you see that they, they need as they kind of go through the stages of growth?
1: This is such a good question. <clears throat> okay, so um, every agency is a little bit different, right? One of the things that I teach is there's no one answer that's just across the board, the right answer for everybody. Um, So uh, when it comes to roles, you really have to look at one, you as the leader, what are the different departments that you're operating in and which of those departments should you get out of? So I like to break out agency departments whether you're a team of one or a team of 100,000, essentially you have the CEO, who's usually you. You have a COO, also known as an integrator, if you follow EOS. Uh, then these are the, the, the ones that um, you usually need to fill quick, quickest. So you have operations, so that's everybody who's doing fulfillment. You have HR, that's the person that's managing your company culture, hiring, firing, all the administrative HR stuff that nobody really likes to do. Uh, then you have finance, very, very important. Um, I don't know if you're like me, I'm horrible at running the numbers, uh, but I'm very, very good at analyzing them. So I need somebody to be able to run the numbers. Um, and then you have, uh, customer experience. That's another really, really important one. Um, and then let's see, is there one that I'm forgetting? So I said, sales. uh, I don't know
0: if you mentioned sales and marketing.
1: Sales and marketing, that's the big one right there. Yeah, so sales and marketing. So who's generating all the revenue that comes through the door? Um, And what's the marketing department look like that's actually helping to generate the leads that the sales team is going to go and close? And then you might have a research and development department. And then the other one is customer experience. I feel like customer experience is really, really crucial for us because we're so focused on monthly recurring revenue. And I've seen some of the churn rates that are out there and the cancellation rates, and it's atrocious. Um, so it's usually a very good idea to put somebody in a customer experience role. That's whole purpose is to keep that churn number down. They'll pay for themselves in a month. Um, so those are typically the departments um, that we like. So let let's just to review again, so we have operations, finance, HR, sales and marketing, customer experience. Those are the main ones that I think that everybody should have.
0: Yeah, I like, I like what you said about really, it depends upon your strengths, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're like a really strong salesperson, like one of the first things you want to get yourself or get help with is operations and customer support, probably. Yeah. If you're like a really good operator and you just like, like a nerd out on Facebook ads and SEO, and you don't like to sell, then you probably want to get someone to do appointment setting and selling for you first. So it yeah. really depends. 100%. Uh, I think most agencies typically are the, the entrepreneur that likes to sell, that likes to position. Um, and so usually it's first thing you need is someone to click the buttons and start to take away the fulfillment, like an operations management level person. Yes, um, I say then,
1: usually, yes, that's where they got to go. Because most then, of us- Go ahead. You, you might have a, a good, you know, like foundation in design, development, running ads, SEO, whatever that is. Um, and you probably got your start as a solo or as a freelancer doing that type of work. But eventually you get to a point where you need to focus on more pressing things like generating revenue, you know? So you need to spend more time in sales and marketing. Um, and the operations side is detracting you from being able to focus on those bigger things that are gonna get you to that next level. So that like, when we talk about team and the fact that we, you know, we help agencies build out their teams, that's typically where we always start is like, they, <laughs> well, here's a typical scenario. Like agency sold a ton of projects, they're like, I've got a backlog. Like we got one agency that we're talking to right now. They've got, they can't even start another project because they're 45 days behind. So they sell a client today. They literally can't even start it for 45 days. So they got this huge backlog and they're a big agency. They're like 10 million bucks. Um, and so, you know, that's the first thing is like, we got to do a triage. Like we got to solve this problem. We got to get these projects done. Then through that, we're going to look at their operations and try and fix the efficiency. Um, but that's typically where things start is like, we have all these projects, we got to get them done, let's just get these things banged out. And and you as the owner, need to take yourself out of there. So I'll give you one more tip, uh, kind of like a, uh, a hack, if you will, as to where you should do your next hire. So you take all those departments that we listed CEO, COO, operations, finance, HR, um, sales and marketing, customer experience, give yourself a score from one to 10. If you're running all those departments yourself, or you don't have a defined leader in each of those departments, give yourself a score of one to 10, 10 being best as to how you're doing in each of these departments. I did this myself two years ago. Um, So you know, when I looked at sales and marketing, I was like a seven, right? And this is where we were around 800,000 in revenue, very little profit. Um, So sales and marketing, I was like a seven operations it was like a five finance it was like a zero or a minus one uh hr one uh customer experience was like a two right and then ceo i was probably like a six right so i was like okay so what leaders do i have to put into place or what things need to happen so that i can focus on the things that i really need to do so at the time it was sales and marketing and being the CEO. I needed to get my ass out of all the other stuff. And so I just started little by little chipping away at all those things. Brought in my wife. She started running our finance and our HR. Brought in Aaron, who was working with my agency that I hadn't sold yet. Said, hey, I need you to run our customer experience team. And then uh, later on that year, we ended up bringing in David Magana who runs our operations team. Oh my God, like all these people completely transformed the business. Um, and then I was able to focus on bigger picture stuff. So just little by little, just map it out and little by little start chipping away.
0: Got it. Some great takeaway there, guys, right? Look at your org chart. Look at like the standard roles and positions within the company. Rate yourself on a scale from one to 10. And what would you say lowest score first? Or do you kind of prioritize just like i think you gotta yeah i mean it's
1: not necessarily just the lowest score um it, it's what's the the what's gonna have the biggest impact on the business right now so you know like I'm trying to think of an analogy here uh yeah i wanted to use a sports one i can't think of one like let's say that, that you like you have a horrible goalkeeper i play soccer so if you have a horrible goalkeeper is the decision to replace the goalkeeper, but also like, you know, you aren't scoring goals. So maybe you need an, uh, another, you know, forward or something to, to score goals. Y- y- this is where I think it's fun where you as a CEO get to like, think very strategically and then also leverage the people that are in the business working with you as well and be like, hey, what do you guys think? Like, this is where my head is going, but what are you guys seeing, gather feedback, and then together you guys can create a plan no matter what direction you go, you're probably gonna make a pivot anyways. Um, and I was reading this book last year. Uh, I love audiobooks, And so I was, I happened to be listening to um, a book about battle tactics or something like that, you know, like leadership in, in, a, in a war setting. I can't remember whatever I was, what kind of kick I was on that, that week. And uh, so they interviewed some general and the general said like, best case scenario, you're having to make life or death, death decisions with 10% of the information that you wish that you had. 10%. That really resonated with me because like, I'm, I am i mean, at least for us, like there's nobody else that has done what we're doing right now. So we don't have a lot of people to look at, right? Most of us are like this, right? We have mentors, we have other people that are kind of similar to us, but for the most part, like we're all black swans. Like there's no precedent, so we're kind of having to try to figure it out on our own and we can't just get stuck and do nothing. We have to make a decision. And so when I read that and I was like, well, these guys are literally making life or death decisions off of 10%. It gives me a little bit of comfort, right? And then we move forward and then we have to adjust. We just move very, very quickly.
0: Yeah. Powerful, powerful insights, guys. And I think you know the two combinations here, like looking at as you grow and scale, what things you're going to remove yourself from and the constraint of don't exceed 50% towards expense gives you a barometer. Most agencies don't pay attention to because usually we're just like, Hey, I want to grow. I want to grow. I want to grow. I know we did this. It was like, Hey, we need more salespeople. Hey, we need more operations managers. Hey, we need more SEO guys. And it was like, spend, 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 spend. And you don't know, like, are we underspending? Are we overspending Mm -hmm. let that 30 to 50% gross margin be your barometer, right? Because once it's right. past 50, that's when it's like, hey, we can't spend more. We have to be more creative, right? We have to be more resourceful, right?
1: Yep, absolutely. Yeah, so you know, you, you look at the numbers and then you decide, okay, this is what I have to operate in. Um, and then you just, I, I, I think that this is an evolution as a CEO. I don't consider myself to be an expert CEO. I'm learning every single day, just like everybody else. Um, but what I've recognized with other intelligent and successful CEOs is that their, their decision making typically starts from looking at the numbers and looking at the data, not going off of just our gut. Now, the gut is important, but you also need to balance it by making logical decisions based off data, based off numbers. The better data you have, the better chances you're going to be able to make a good decision. Um, so that's why I always say like it's so important to start gathering those numbers.
0: Love it. All right, so a couple of follow up questions here. Sure. The so you you know you need these roles as you grow and as you scale. Um, looking at your, your account, right, your profitability, your gross margins. Um, I know there's some de- debate about you know what falls into the cost of goods sold versus overhead. Um, and I would think you know your operations manager, your SEO guy, your pay per click guy, your web designer, all kind of fall into the cost of goods sold. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you agree, and maybe like the account manager while they serve the clients. Your HR, your finance, like do you carve that out or do you just put all of that kind of as your cost of goods sold? Uh
1: account managers typically I would put that under cost of goods sold because they're helping with retention. They're helping with making sure that that deliverables are getting uh moved over to the client, that the clients are happy. So to me, they are in a fulfillment type of role. Um, you know, salespeople, I don't put those under cost of goods sold. I know that design pickle, I believe they put them under. Uh, cost of goods sold, at least the initial commissions um, and affiliate commissions, they put that under cost of goods sold. So, but for me, I just like to simplify it. It's like, if you're touching a project and you're helping to keep that client like uh, because of deliverables cost of goods sold, you know, I do have separate line items or separate category, like my operating, um, sorry, my customer experience team, they fall underneath our operating expenses because they're not necessarily doing just deliverables, there's a whole lot of other things that they're doing behind the scenes that help the company run. So that's like a little tweak that I've made. You might be able to make the argument that my customer experience reps could fall under cost of goods sold. um, but that's just how I do it again, guys, like there's not any hard and fast one way to do everything, but what you need to do is learn these principles and then be able to apply the principles in a way that makes sense for your agency.
0: Love it. All right. So, so, we kind of like thinking about where these people fit. You mentioned something earlier, and it's like there's two trends right now. Like, first of all, you mentioned if you're overpaying people in the company, and that's massively impacting your margins. Yeah, Love to hear how you how you deal with that. And the other the other trend is, you know, your typical SEO person, your typical account manager in an agency, U.S. based, you know, has a certain amount, right? If you hire them entry mm-hmm. level, you know, they're going to still cost you like fifty to sixty thousand dollars a year. But the trend is if you want someone experienced, you're going to pay a lot more and retaining right. that talent, retaining that $60,000 person that you trained up, that you got ready. It's hard because there's big companies out there willing to pay them six figures. Once they've got the experience. Yeah. So you will have to kind of like unpack that. with yeah, you a little Let's, bit let's, your let's take that second people.
1: question first. Uh, Cause I think that's the big thing that's going to be super, super detrimental to most agencies. So, you know, 2020, March, 2020, Shit hit the fan. Everybody lost clients. We didn't know what was going to happen. It was a scary time. But then, come summer of 2020, things started to pick up again because all these businesses that have been putting us off or saying, like, oh, I don't need to invest in that digital marketing stuff now. They were like, I don't have another option. Like, I need to be able to generate business online. And so then there was just like opening of the floodgates, all the agencies that were still standing after three months started to get busier and busier and busier, um, which is fantastic for our agency. The downside to that is that our team members, our staff that could actually do the work, now it's, uh, it's an employee's market. So there's way more demand and not enough supply here in the States. So all these bigger companies that need, like enterprises as well, that needed staff that knew how to do what we did, they just started throwing crazy money at these people, doubling their salaries, $50,000 signing bonuses. So every agency that's on this call or that's listening to this recording, it's uh, it's January 25th right now. Just assume that all of your staff are getting recruited and they're getting recruited with at least 30%... Increase in salary and and signing bonuses. I'm seeing signing bonuses anywhere from $25,000 to $50,000 as a signing bonus, right? No joke. Yeah, no joke, right? This is what's happening, whether you like it or not. So you have to come up with a strategy, right? Because there's only so much that we can raise our rates. Hopefully, everybody raised their rates in, in, in January, on January 1st. Um, but it, ultimately there's a ceiling as to how high you can raise your rates in general. Right. Um, maybe you want to double your prices. You probably can't 10 extra prices. That's probably unrealistic. So um, you have to figure out how do I balance the rate increase that I can do with the salary increase that I'm going to need to pay to retain my, my people. And, and ultimately I think the strategy that most agency owners are looking at is let's identify the team members that are U.S. based, that are absolute A players that I do not want to lose. And you create a cushion or proactively give them a bonus or an increase to make sure that they stay with you. Now, even before you do that, we need to have a good company culture. Your people need to feel valued. They need to feel an emotional connection to the company and the client's. They need to see you as a good leader, somebody that needs to work that they enjoy working for, and that they're passionate about the mission of the company. If you don't have those things already, people are going to leave just for the money, right? Because they're just in it for the paycheck. Right. But let's assume that your staff love the company, they love the mission. Somebody comes along and they say, "Hey, you're uh, you're making sixty thousand now. I'm going to give you ninety thousand bucks plus twenty five thousand dollars signing bonus." Right. You need to have the budget available to be able to offer that either proactively or when that individual comes to you. Most of the time that employee will turn down that other offer and you don't necessarily have to match it. You could come close or create a tiered plan so that they could get to that ninety-seven or $90,000 a year over time. If you have that connection, you can usually negotiate and figure out a way to get that person to stay. But you, as the agency owner, as the CEO, you have to have all these numbers already mapped out in your head, so that you're not scrambling at the last minute.
0: So um, good. I think you know, advanced agencies you know, hearing this, like this, should resonate. Either you've experienced this, or you will be experiencing it in the in the months ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, very good advice here. Very good, you know, thought process around your key players are going to get recruited. And you need to have that backup plan, that backup strategy. I think what you said is important. You want to look at it from both angles. You want to look at it from how can we pay them more, right? And it's increasing price, dipping into your profitability potentially at some level. Um, And how do we create the culture or like what are the benefits you offer that that big company wouldn't be able to? Maybe working Mm -hmm. from home, maybe flexible hours, maybe whatever. Um, And like really create a package that gives them a reason to stay with you as opposed to taking that
1: hop. Absolutely. I mean, we have a perfect example. We have employees that got offers from Google and they turned on Google to come work for us because they believe in the mission. So it's possible. Um, The second thing that you have to look at though, if you are paying somebody more, what a lot of agencies are doing is they're backfilling other seats with people that are overseas that are just as capable. They are held to the exact same standard and they're able to produce the same amount, uh, the same quality. They just happen to be less expensive. And it's not, we're not paying them less. And then, you know, they're living in a hole. Cost of living is much different across the world, right? So they are willing to have a fantastic standard of living for 40% of what, you know, it costs in the United States. Typically with our staff, like that we provide that are overseas, they're anywhere from 30 to 70% cheaper than people in the States.
0: So that's the way that
1: you balance it out, right? Eight players get a little bit more, we reduce- Typically, it's production labor, um, designers, developers, um, ad people, you know, we reduce those costs. And that's what helps to make sure that we're maintaining that, that gross margin.
0: Got it. Love it. Um, so I don't know if it makes sense to make this pivot now, but I'd love to hear about you. You've got 90 full-time employees, um, a lot of them international. Um, mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit about kind of the process of hiring and, and kind of building sure, yeah. international staff?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, so I'm from Los Angeles originally, um, and then moved down to San Diego in 2013. And then in 2015, I opened up an office in Tijuana, Mexico, uh, and I was basically driving back and forth across the border every day for two years. And uh, I don't really speak Spanish that well. I speak a lot better now, but back then I didn't really speak Spanish. So that was just interesting trying to figure out how to communicate. And all my staff speak English, so that was that was a benefit. Um, but it is you know it's interesting going into another country where you don't know the language. Um, so you know, I never really liked the idea of hiring when I started out in 2012. To me, I kind of viewed it as a necessary evil, and I'm sure that there's other people that can resonate or, or relate to that because to me, like, and, and I'm a, I completely changed my perspective on this, but like, I kind of felt like, uh, you know, I wanted to hire people that were exactly like me i remember saying like man i wish i could clone myself you know i think that's a uh, a comment that most owners have at some point point. and so um i didn't really have the right approach to hiring and i kind of you know i would feel like people would always let me down and they wouldn't do what i say and, and the reality is i was just a bad leader and and i i shifted my perspective when i recognized that like building a great team isn't necessarily like these people doing everything for me I need to find amazing people and then empower them to do amazing stuff that I hired them to do. Right. And so when I had that mind shift, we started bringing in on more people and the quality of the people and the standards that we had were different. Um, And then I think the biggest change was uh, my wife. Also when I brought her in to start restructuring our hiring process, it became way more stringent. So now just for you guys to know, like if you're struggling with hiring, We hire one out of around 40 to 42 people that start the interview process. So I have three full-time recruiters. Um, It's really hard to find good people. And the reason that they fail is not because they are lacking the technical skills. It's the soft skills, right? It's the values, it's the accountability, it's the work ethic. Like we have tests for all of this stuff. Our interview process is seven, seven steps um and so we're actively trying to screen out people and and it's almost always because of the soft skills and the fact that they are lacking those soft skills and that's the most important thing because you can teach somebody to do, to be a better developer you can teach somebody to do a, a design a certain way but if they don't care about the clients if they don't care about hitting deadlines if they're more focused on themselves than the outcomes that we're generating for our customers you're never going to be able to teach them that. So that's the biggest thing when it comes to hiring is really understanding that the soft skills are way more important than the technical skills. Um, And then just having a process to be able to screen out the right people that fit your company culture.
0: So it sounds like two, two like two quotes that kind of go with that are um, hire for attitude, train for aptitude, right? That sounds like exactly what you just said there. And Hire slow, fire fast. Yeah.
1: Right. Really do your due diligence,
0: make sure you've got the right people.
1: You know what else really helps too? When I got out of the hiring process, we ended up getting much better people. And and this is like, I think this is something you kind of learn the hard way because, you know, as owners, we're so emotionally invested in our company. And because of that, we're so emotionally invested in the people that we hire. And sometimes we overlook red flags because maybe this person reminds me reminds me of me in some way. So I'm like, oh man, this person is such a go-getter. They're so driven, dah, 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 dah. Well, when I was overlooking, and I'm thinking of one person specifically, was that they're a selfish freaking prick. And, <laughs> and that they're driven by their own ability to try and make themselves wealthy and they don't give a shit about the team, right? So like, it's really, really helpful to have other people that are actually running the hiring process because they aren't gonna see these people with your biased lenses. And they'll be able to evaluate these candidates more objectively than you. It's just the way that it is. I'm sure there are some unicorn owners that are out there that can truly be totally objective and hire great talent. But I have found more often than not, well, more often than not, that agency owners that are involved in the hiring process are really just getting in their own way.
0: Yeah, I, I I tend to agree, right? I mean, we we do want to try and attract someone just like ourselves. We think that's the right fit, but to do the job that needs done, usually it's somebody you need that's going to be high follow-through, high fact-find, very disciplined, yeah. completely unlike you, right? If yeah, you we want the
1: opposite of us. Yeah. You know, you, you truly want somebody who's gonna be who's going to uh, fix your weaknesses. You don't want somebody who's going to be the mirror of you because then they're actually just duplicating your weaknesses.
0: 100%. So let, let's talk a little bit about talent pools, right? I mean, you think about US-based, international, you've got, you know, international could be anywhere. It could be, like you said, Mexico, could be mm-hmm. Philippines, could be, you
1: know, Pakistan. South America, yeah. you know, Eastern Europe, I know is very popular as well.
0: There are, I know you've you've chosen to build based in the in the Mexico market. I would love to hear kind of what your thought process behind that is and yeah, kind of what you're sure. finding in that market.
1: So I, I think that, well, I mean you can go to Netflix right now and just type in Mexico in the search bar. There's not a lot of positive shows that come out about Mexico. The the news in general is not very positive uh, about Mexico. My grandfather is from Mexico, so I kind of had this desire. My my dad also wanted to do something in Mexico. He he passed away in 2007. But I remember him saying that he always wanted to go down to Mexico and try and start do something for the people or start a business or something like that. So I had this kind of like instinct to try and find talent in Mexico. Um, And it turned out it was absolutely fantastic. I consider it like the hidden gem for finding talent now here's what i've learned over time is there's already a lot of fortune 500 companies that have offices in mexico because they recognize that there's a lot of talent down here they just don't talk about it because they'll just get flambayed in the in the media especially with the last presidency like if they're if they're found out to be outsourcing outsourcing high-paying jobs or american jobs to to mexico they'll just get destroyed so um know there's a lot of bigger companies that are already down here and they've been down here for years but the smaller businesses you know agencies like us it's untapped resources and so the things that we look for for everybody that we hire no matter where they are is that they have to speak english speak read write english and they have to work our time zone you know obviously technical ability everything like that the time zone thing is so unbelievably important i when i started my agency i had a team in the philippines right and I bought into this myth of people being able to work while you sleep. That's possible, but it's not totally realistic. I was still working till one o'clock in the morning, you know, at least once a week. Um, and the, the issue is that like here in North America and the United States, game time is 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. So we're going to do all our interactions with our clients. We're going to be working on projects. Most of your team is working normal U.S. hours. And so if you have a separate team that's trying to like figure out what happened during the day, and then, you know, they're just like on their own time, what ends up happening is that something is going to get misunderstood. And then when your US-based team wakes up, they're like, well, this isn't correct. And now that other team's asleep, so you can't wake them up. So you're just kind of stuck. And then meanwhile, you have a client that that is expecting a deliverable that we made a promise to on the deadline. Right, so now you have an unhappy client, right? So that that's that's the challenge with the time zone things. I don't really care where you're located at, but they must work U.S. hours. Now Mexico is North America time zone, automatically that's easy, right? We've solved one of the biggest problems with working with overseas teams. Um, but there's also a cultural element too. So we still have a couple people in the Philippines. They're fantastic people. They work incredibly hard, but there are some cultural elements that are just different. And like, if we look at it from a design standpoint, I'm sure we've all gotten designs back from Asia and they just feel different. They just look different, right? It's just not the same. And then we got to go back and we got to get them redone or maybe we got to send them to the in-house designer and then they got to try and squeak out these designs at the last minute. Um, Mexico has more of a, I would say Western, um, Western element of the culture that they inherently get. So the designs, for example, they just come back and they're they're what we want, right? From a development standpoint, the communication styles are a lot more similar than us in, let's say, India. Fantastic people in India. We still have a couple of people in India. Um, but overall, like, there's fewer revisions uh, because we're just more in alignment. And uh, because we're able to communicate in real time, if there is an issue, we can just say, hey, what's up? I need your help with this. Can you fix this really quickly? Oh, no problem. Done. Right, we didn't have to wait nine hours to be able to get that done. So we also have people in South America as well. Um, I believe we have people in Bolivia, um, Brazil, and somewhere else, I can't remember. It's not Venezuela. It's very hard to send money to Venezuela, by the way. That's actually one of the biggest challenges with working with uh, Mexico specifically. I'm fortunate because I also have a Mexican corporation. So we offer benefits, we offer bonus programs, we have retirement programs, all these amazing benefits that we use to attract and keep our, our people. If you don't have that, it's very hard to send money to Mexico because there's a lot of uh, drug trafficking, like laws that prevent you from being able to send money. So like if you're trying to send a couple thousand bucks on your own through uh wise, or uh, you can't even use PayPal actually, cause most Mexicans don't have PayPal. Um, But if you're trying to use some of these money transferring services, not only is it expensive, you're going to get flagged and they're going to shut you down because they're like, this is weird. (laughs) So, uh, but yeah, overall Mexico in general, like just the staff is just so easy to integrate them into your team. Um, You know, if you're in North America and you haven't tried it yet, highly recommend giving it a shot.
0: So you find you can find talented people with design skills, with good, you know, spoken English skills. 100%. Um, that, most that of them already. okay
1: so most of them you know mexicans love to go to the movies they they uh, they love going to the movies more than the united states uh, people in the united states do and part of the reason it's so cheap to go to the movies here like you can go to a vip style where you have the, the recliner and the waiter and everything. it's like seven dollars a ticket um and and so most of them learn english through tv cinema radio or music you know so they're and of course like this country is obsessed with youtube too so they understand the culture they understand how to communicate like obviously everybody that we hire speaks english um so again it's like really really easy to integrate them into your into your agency
0: yeah i think a couple of things that really stand out right is the time zone issue is huge mm-hmm. um the culture and like you said they watch american movies and so like it's not that big of a cultural leap. Um, where do you find the best hiring sources to, to you know, if, you know, if you were to try and hire in Mexico, like.
1: What, yeah, what definitely not doing? Craigslist. Um, stay <laughs> away from Craigslist. Uh, when I started in Mexico, like, you know, in the United States Craigslist is typically the place that you would go. That and in, Indeed. Um, but this is going back to 2015. So Indeed wasn't as huge Um at least in Mexico. So we would go to Craigslist and I would just get bad people. Like people that knew that it was gringos, Americans that were trying to hire Mexicans and didn't know what they were doing. So I would get ripped off. Um, There are some website, there's one in Mexico called Empleo Nuevo um, that you have to have a Mexican company to be able to advertise. I think most of those types of sites, you have to have a Mexican tax ID number essentially to be able to advertise your jobs. Um, Indeed, you can do that on your own um you can run the job posts the job posts in general need to be a little bit different so a lot of the times in the united states if you're writing a job post it's almost like a sales letter i don't know if you do your your ads job ads like that but that's how i used to run my ad, job post ads um in the states is like it's very flowery flowery language you know we're talking about all the great things that we do the mexicans will see that as a scam so you really have to make it more like black and white. This is what it is, this is what you get, this is the pay range, da, da, da. Uh, We have a really great recruiting video that we use that we created. So that's included in the job post. So that's one of the things that helps us to attract people down here. Um, but if you don't have a Mexican company, Indeed is a great one. Now we use LinkedIn. We pay LinkedIn like over $35,000 a year <laughs> to use their super fancy pants LinkedIn recruiting platform. So, um, you know, the people that we do our recruiting for. If you end up getting staff from us, then you can avoid having to pay LinkedIn thirty five thousand. But if you have those funds, I highly recommend using it. It's a fantastic platform. So
0: like laser targeting people in Mexico that have <clears> certain <throat> attributes. You're like, Hey, you got this background. Would you be interested in more coming to work for us?
1: Yeah. I, I think we get a certain number of direct messages and there's other targeting stuff that we can do. And like our, our ads that we run, like our job post ads that we run apparently are like three times better than anybody else in Mexico. So we've gotten really good at, at uh, doing the hiring down here. Apparently.
0: That's awesome. All right. So Definitely. some, some great conversation around like, you know, how do you structure your financials? What are the key roles you want to hire for? How are you going to deal with like kind of the, the fact that, you know, your team members can get recruited somewhere else and get paid a lot more. Um, and kind of like the different international hiring markets uh, with Mexico being something most people aren't even thinking about as yeah. a great potential source. Um, well, like, what other key insights would you like to share with the group either about like how to plug in with you or about kind of growing and scaling an agency in general?
1: Yeah, no, this is a great question. You know, like I started an agency as I started out at the top of the hour, you know, I started an agency just like you guys. I was broker than broke when I started my agency. I actually had a failed business. My very first business, I started in 2007, a few months after my dad died. uh, And I started a print soccer magazine. I was 27 years old, thought I knew everything, didn't know shit, lost everything that I had. You know, I I lost almost 200 grand. I was in massive debt. And then I taught myself how to do websites. And that turned into like a few years later, it turned into an agency, right? Accidental entrepreneur. Um, And so I've made every single mistake that anybody can make and probably more than most of you guys will make because you're smarter than me. Um, But this business is freaking hard. I think it's one of the hardest things that you could possibly do. And Josh, like you do such a great job of mentoring people so that they don't make a lot of these mistakes or fall into these pitfalls that really can kill your your agency altogether. Like what I love doing is sharing with other agency people the non-sexy stuff that makes a huge difference in the business. Things like the margin, things like hiring and staffing, right? How do we find the people that we need? Most of us are not wired to be able to see the little, like the minutia that can end up making a huge difference. Um, you know, we're, we're really good at that high level stuff, creating the vision, selling to the clients, like those are the things that we're really, really typically good at. And those other little details, nobody really teaches that stuff. And And so we're trying to just, constantly spinning our wheels, throwing darts blindly at this dartboard. So I love to show agency owners, like, these are the things that have really helped me. And this is what I think can help you as well. And it usually always starts with team, right? Let's let's bring in some team members that you're lacking that are going to help move the needle immediately. Like, you have 20 websites that you need done. Let's get them done. Let's get them done in the next six weeks. Here's the people, here's the team that you're going to have. They're going to be working for you. Let's just bang these out. Okay, cool. Now you thought that each project was going to take 60 hours. It ended up taking 180. Let's figure out what the heck happened. This is what, how you can fix those specific issues, right? All you got to do is you got to change your onboarding. You got to add these five questions. Every problem that you're experiencing now will go away. It's literally that simple sometimes. Actually, we, uh, there's one specific client that I'm thinking of right now. Um, they had this really weird, so they would go through their design process for websites, okay? They go through their entire design process. It was amazing. So intricate, so much one-on-one attention with the clients. They're charging really good rates. They have really good people running those, uh, running the process, project managing. They get the designs approved. They get all the mock-ups approved. And then they would do this really weird thing where they record a video of all these new animations that they want to integrate that completely throw the designs out the door and they never they never recognize this because they never documented these processes we do that for them and i was like guys like why are why are you doing this and they're like oh i don't really know it's just something that we've always done and i was like well like here's the implicate here's what's happening because you're doing that is now you're sending designs to a developer The developer is looking at the request that you're making and and being like, well, this doesn't match the design at all. And then now they're having to make a weird decision as to what to do. And then your client's getting it back and they're not happy either. And everybody's like not on the same page. And that's why you're having 15 rounds of revisions, right? And so like, like that's something that we were able to do for these agencies to go in and just give some clarification as to why these problems are happening. And then just really simple tips as to how to fix them. Right. And then it just goes on and on. Once you fix those first two parts, people and systems and processes, everything else gets way, way easier. So, like, yeah. if you're experiencing any issues in your agency aside from being able to get clients, like, if you're struggling with getting customers, go into all of Jaya's content, as I have is really, really good stuff. Um, and then once you get to that point where, like, you know, you feel like if I walk into a room of 100 of my prospects, I'm going to close 90 of them. And then that's when you start to you need to start really looking at the operation side and making sure that everything is humming, and ultimately that they, you're able to make the kind of money that you deserve to make.
0: I love it. Yeah, powerful, powerful piece of the equation. I think so many agencies, once they solve for landing clients, wind up in this place yep. where they're either overwhelmed, their profitability is way down, um, or they start to fail on the clients. Right? They start to just not yeah. deliver the level of service that they need to. Um, and then they lose confidence in their ability to continue to sell, uh, or they they just kind of go into shutdown mode. Um, and so I think it's really powerful what you're what you're doing. Um, if, if people want to learn more about you, Chris, and Dude Agency, what's the best way to to connect? Yeah, you know, like
1: um, is this going out to everybody in the group or people outside the group? Uh, both. It's going to be both okay. In in and out. I'll I'll, I'll just, anybody, if you're listening to this, feel free to hit me up. Um, You can email me directly at chris, C-H-R-I-S, at dudeagency.io if you have any questions whatsoever. Honestly, like, don't be embarrassed to ask me a question about anything. I will get back to you. um, Depending on how my week is, it might be a day or two before I respond, but I always respond. Um, I don't have an assistant that, like, sorts through my email. Please just don't spam me or add me to any weird lists. I don't need any more phone calls about my, my warranty on my truck <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or health insurance. Um, but yeah, just shoot me an email. Um, and then of course you can go to dudeagency.io. Um, if you want to learn a little bit more about what we do, um, I have an awesome podcast, Josh, you've been on the podcast, right? I
0: think I have, we should set that oh, up. Oh man, we got to get
1: you on. Okay. Um, I've got a, uh, an awesome podcast. We've got, you know, a hundred something episodes. And I talk mainly about the non-sexy stuff. So I think the last couple episodes were KPIs for your customer experience team and KPIs for your operations team. So I'm an open book. I could tell you everything that I've learned, all the little details about anything that we do. I got nothing to hide. I just want to share and help. Um, Because like I said, this is like the hardest business ever. And anything I can do to make your life easier and to help you guys achieve your goals, I'm all about it.
0: Awesome. Well, Chris, this has been amazing. Thanks so much for sharing. Congratulations on your growth and success and the impact you're having on the agencies that you work with guys in the comments, like what were your key takeaways, right? What were the key things that you're going to take away and implement lots of golden nuggets in this, in this uh, episode, be sure to reach out to Chris, tag him, thank him for sharing his wisdom. Um, As, as we wrap up here, what will be, you know, that nugget of wisdom kind of in closing. For the agency that's that's kind of where they're at right like and they're just trying to get to the next level what would be like one last nugget of wisdom you would want to share
1: it's it's hard because there's different stages of development right it's kind of like if you're an athlete and you're starting out there's different levels of things that you need to learn to be able to advance to that next level um level one really is selling right you have to be able to sell where if you can't sell, you have to be able to do that first. Where we really operate is in that second stage where people are really good at selling and then they struggle on the, the non-sexy stuff. Um, and so I'm going to just speak directly to, to that stage or that phase. Perfect. It's the, the, the key or one of the big keys is that the business is a reflection of you. And so if you're unorganized, if you hate employees, subconsciously or consciously, if you feel like you have all the answers and you have a huge ego, if you feel like operations is beneath you and these people should just figure it out after you've sold, those are the exact things that are holding you back. So you really need to do a lot of self-reflection and recognize, because here's the here's the reality, you're always the bottleneck and every issue in the business Is your fault it's a it's a giant difficult pill to swallow but your business is where it is because of you and so instead of pointing the finger and blaming everybody else let's do some introspection and recognize what are the deficiencies in you what are the deficiencies in chris that are leading to higher cancellations that are leading to my employees quitting and not giving me two weeks notice My, what are the deficiencies that are leading to, um, you know, I'm doing too much. I'm like, I can't take a vacation. Um, everything is dependent on me. Like, what are those issues that are going on with inside of Chris? And then how can I adjust and fix those problems? And then ultimately I promise you it will manifest itself in the business and things will go a lot more smoothly. That's the biggest advice is the business is a reflection of you. Let's focus on fi- fixing Chris. Let's focus on fixing Josh. And then everything else will, will come. I promise you.
0: I love it. Powerful insights. Take a look at the man or woman in the mirror and, and that will solve a lot of your problems. Uh, Chris, this has been great. Thanks so much. Again, go to dudeagency.io uh, or reach out to Chris on Facebook or you can send an email. to Yeah, Chris I'm going p- to
1: drop my email in the chat. I just happen to pull it up on the the Facebooks. So if anybody wants to email me directly, just chris at dudeagency.io.
0: Great stuff. Hey, Chris, thanks so much for taking the time. This is Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Talk to you later. Bye, everybody.